Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, how are we, Hope? Doing good? How about that worship? Man, can we just give a hand across for all of our bands, those that record online? Just, you don't know how much work goes on, but just the heart and this, the way they serve us. Man, my heart's ready. But if you uh, have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 7. Uh, we're eventually going to make our way to James chapter 1. But if you're just joining with us, we've been in a, a series of talks that we're calling Battle Cry. And uh, it's the talks kind of based around this theme of the spiritual battles that we all face, specifically the ones that we just can't quite seem to win. It's those, those habits or those cycles, or that relationship, or those, those secret sins that try as we might, we just can't seem to defeat it. And uh, so because of this, we live in defeat. Maybe we've bought into the lie that this is all we'll ever be, that, that we can never change. We live in this guilt, we live in this shame, and we kind of give up hope of ever changing. And we've learned that that's all of us, right? All of us have something that we would just love to quit. All of us have something in our lives where we're like, man, it'd be great if you quit me because I can't quite seem to quit you, you know? And uh, all of us have something that we just feel is holding us back, that's keeping us uh, from the abundant life that Jesus talks about, from becoming the type of person that God wants us to be. So if you feel that way, you're not alone. That's all of us listening in right now. But what we learned the first week is that through what Jesus did, by dying for us on the cross and rising from the grave that he took every single bit of power out of the hand of every single enemy that we face. That actually that thing that is holding us back, that is holding us captive, it's just a powerless nuisance. It's not this strong enemy. And that because of what Jesus did, it might not feel that way. It might feel like you have been trapped in a strong cage for years or for decades with these 12 inch thick iron bars and there's no way that you can get out. But because of Jesus Christ, because he took the authority away from Satan and gave it back to us, the door to that cage stands wide open. It's up to us to kind of walk through it. And we just need a little help. So last week we talked about the most powerful help that God has given us, the person of the Holy Spirit, and that as we learn to welcome him and commune with him and eventually walk in him, he can, he can, he can lead us out of that cage and into freedom. Well, this week I wanna share with you uh, just one principle, one simple but pretty profound and powerful principle when it comes to this thing called spiritual authority. And I'm telling you, when I, when I learned this principle 20 years ago, it changed my life. And it's very, very simple, but if you'll just keep this in the back of your head and you'll try to apply it as best as you can this week, you might just be tasting freedom a lot sooner than you thought. In fact, let me go ahead and share this principle with you up front. It's called the over-under principle. You ready for it? The over-under principle. The principle is if you're betting on the over-under with the Carolina Panthers, you always choose the under. No, that's not it at all. Uh, the principle is this. The principle is in order to be over, you have to put yourself under. 
In order to be over, you have to put yourself under. In order to be over those things that have held you captive for so long, and that's what we want, right? We don't want them to have the upper hand. We wanna have the upper hand. But in order to do that, you have to put yourself under other things. I love how the pastor Adrian Rogers puts it. Um, He says, we will never be over those things that God has set under us until we learn to be under those things that God has placed over us, right? We will never be over those things that God has set under us until we learn to be under those things that God has placed over us. And if you're still a little confused, it's gonna click into place. So turn with me to Luke chapter seven. This is one of my favorite stories because in this story, we're gonna come face to face with the guy that not only knows the power of the spiritual authority that we have in Jesus, but he also understands exactly how it works. So Luke starts telling this story in verse one. It says this, after Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. So we have this centurion. If you don't know what that means, that word technically means over 100. So he's a Roman officer that's over 100 armed people, uh, warriors in the Roman armed forces. And and it's not just that 100. He he obviously has other servants under him as well. And one of his his prized servants, one that he loves, is sick to the the point of death. Uh, But he has heard about Jesus. And he knows that Jesus, I mean, he can heal anything and anyone. And so he also remembers that, this, that Jesus is a, a Jewish rabbi. And he's like, I know some Jewish people. I got some Jewish friends. So he invites the elders over to his house. And he's like, hey, can you go and grab Jesus? Because I know he can heal my servant. See if he'll do that for us. Uh, I want Jesus to unleash his power in the life of my servant. So they said, yeah, we'll go grab him for you. And it says, and when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, Hey, this centurion guy, he's worthy to have you do this for him. He's worthy for he loves our nation. He's one, uh, he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now notice, that's not what the centurion said. The centurion said, hey, I believe that Jesus can heal. Will you see if he will do that in the life of my servant? He didn't mention his social status. He didn't mention his, his generosity. He didn't mention his power or his wealth. He didn't mention any of that. The Jews just kind of misinterpret things. They're almost putting this centurion over Jesus. They're almost insinuating, hey, this guy's powerful. This guy's a mover and a shaker. You might want to consider healing his servant. Did we mention that he's over 100 heavily armed, highly trained soldiers, right? But that, and in the scheme of things, that's kind of right. Like in the scheme of things, yeah, this guy's an officer. Jesus is just a citizen. This guy is rich and powerful. Jesus is poor. So the way things worked back then, yeah, he was kind of over Jesus, legally speaking, but that's not how the centurion sees things. And when he hears what the elders said, he's like, no, 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 no. Don't put me over him. If anything, put me under him because that's how this whole authority thing works. Look at what it says in verse six. It says, and Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to them, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. He sends out a correction. He sent some of his friends to say, hey, those elders got it wrong. I don't think I'm above you. I don't think I'm worthy. In fact, I'm not. I'm not worthy to even have you come into my house. And this powerful man humbles himself 
under Jesus. He says, I didn't even presume to come and get you. It's not that I said, hey, Jewish elders, go fetch them because I don't have the time. No, no, no. I was sending a request up the chain of command. I sent them to you because you don't go barging into the commander's officer's office without permission, right? And there's a reason he's doing this, because he knows the principle. It can't be over until you put yourself under. He's placing himself under Jesus because he knows that's how this power and authority thing works. And he just so perfectly explains it in the next verse. Verse 8, underline it if you have your Bibles open. It says this, For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. Kind of a confusing sentence, but he's saying, Jesus, you and me, we're the same. We're under authority and we're over authority. I have people that are above me, and because of that, they've given me the authority to have people under me. He says, uh, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, he's connecting the fact that he's under authority with the authority that he has. He's saying, because I'm under certain people and they say go and I go and they say do something and I do it, that's what gives me the power to tell other people, hey, you go and they go or you do this and they do it. I'm over because I put myself under. And see, that's how authority works if you've ever thought about it. No one has authority without being under authority. Like, what would happen if this guy started bad-mouthing his commanding officers? What if he disobeyed what they said? What if he said to all the people under him, hey, don't listen to them, you don't have to do, you don't have to obey, you don't, you don't have to do anything about what they say. What would happen to the authority that he had? It would be taken away, right? He would lose whatever power he, he had. It'd be taken away and he would be demoted. He would be replaced or worse, he would be sent to prison. So all the power and authority that he possessed existed because he submitted himself to a higher authority. Saying, Jesus, you and me, we're the same. I get how this works, right? He understood you can't be over until you place yourself under. And look at how Jesus responds. He says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Or he was amazed. That's the literal word. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith and when those who had been sent returned to the house, guess what? They found the servant well. Jesus says, this guy gets it. It only says that Jesus was amazed two times in the Bible. One, at someone's lack of faith or understanding. And here, because of this man's amazing faith and his depth of perception. He's like, this guy gets it. He gets what I've been trying to explain to people all over Israel for the past two years. And he's not even Jewish. He's a Roman official. See, Jesus understood this is actually what gave Jesus his power and authority. Jesus' own power and authority came because he submitted himself to the authority of the Father. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, he said he's equal with the Father, but he didn't need to hold on to that. Instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man, and listen to this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Because Jesus went down and he humbled himself and was obedient to the Father, therefore, because of that, God lifted him up to be over every name, over every single thing. And it's the same with you. The principle is the same with you. You can't be over 
until you place yourself under. Before you can use your authority, you have to place yourself under God's authority. You get it? See, at this point, you're like, okay, great principle. You've said it about 700 times. You're beating a dead horse, right? I understand, okay? You'll never be over those things that God intends you to be under until you place yourself under those things that God has put over you. That sounds great, but how does that work practically? Like, what things am I supposed to submit to to unlock this authority? Well, the centurion, he actually tells us. Remember in that story, he actually gives us a proof of how he knows what a good servant is. He says there's a test where you can discern whether this person has submitted or not. What does he say? He says, I say, go, and my good servant goes. I say, come, and my good servants, they do that. I say, do this or do that, and my good servants, that's exactly what they do. See, I can tell they're submitted to me because they what? They obey my word. The centurion understood that submission is all about obeying the word of your authority. That's why he said to Jesus, you don't have to come in here. I know you're over sickness and disease. I've heard the stories. You don't have to place your hands. You don't have to do anything. Just say it. And because that is submissive to you, that disease will leave. See, it all has to do with obeying the word of your commanding officer. Can you guess where I'm going with this? (laughs) You know what this is called? You know what God's favorite name for the Bible is? It's God's word. In the first five books of the Bible, God calls, it, God calls this, this is my word, 500 times. In the prophets alone, God says, this is my word more than 1,000 times. The Bible is called the word of God more than 4,000 times in the Old Testament and 44 times in the New Testament. God attests to the fact that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, Old Testament, as well as the words written in red and the words after that, this is my word. So this contains all of our marching orders. This contains specific desires and demands and wishes and commands of our king. So this is the thing that we submit to. This is the thing that God intends to be over us, that we should obey, that we should humble ourselves and obey in order to be over those things that God intends to be under us. As we submit to this, it becomes like a weapon in our hand that we can vanquish any enemy, right? In fact, God calls it a weapon, doesn't he? When Paul's talking about the, uh, the, the armor uh, of the Lord in Ephesians chapter six, he talks about like the helmet and the breastplate and, the, and the, the belt, and then he finally gets to the sword of the spirit, which is what? It's the word of God. Incidentally, in that list, every single item he lists is defensive except for one, right? A helmet, a breastplate, shoes, those are all defensive. There's only one offensive weapon, and it's this. It's the word of God. But see, you wield this different than any other sword. Instead of parrying with it or like, like piercing with it or stabbing with it, in order to unleash the power of this weapon, you, what, you submit to it and you obey it. That's what James says in James chapter one. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to what? Save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, of freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, underline that, he will be blessed in his doing. That's a promise that you can bank on. For the one that doesn't just hear, but actually receives it and then obeys, he will be blessed. 
He'll be happy. He'll be favored. He'll experience the abundant life that Jesus comes to bring. But, but James says there's two conditions. If you want to experience the power of this weapon, if you want to unleash that authority in your life, you can't just hear it. you got to receive it, and you got to obey it. And with those two conditions, James, I don't know about you, but he punches me in the gut. <laughs> See, James has picked out two huge hurdles that every single one of us has when it comes to submitting to God's word. They're huge hurdles. They're huge problems that we're gonna have to deal with. Every individual is gonna have to work through in order to get to the place where they can receive it, where they can obey it, where they can submit to it. You know, you know why those are such big problems? The first one is receiving it. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've noticed this about human beings, but um, we don't like to be told what to do. You ever notice that? <laughs> We hate someone to tell us what to do. If you're a parent, you know this. You see this acted out in front of you every day, right? From birth, we hate it. We especially don't like when people say you're doing something wrong and then tell you the right way to do that. We hate being corrected. Am I the only one? Uh, the first year that I got married to Jenny, it was, uh, it was back in 2007, and it was, it was a very special year. It was uh, unlike any other year that I had ever experienced in my 21 short years of life, and it's unlike any other year that I'd ever experienced since, because during that year, um, I had a pretty eye-opening experience. I learned that I had been doing absolutely everything wrong my entire life, <laughs> and I didn't know, right? So imagine my surprise to learn that I was doing the laundry wrong, I was folding every item of clothing wrong. I was uh, filling the dishwasher wrong. I was uh, using the thermostat wrong. I was showering wrong. I was sleeping wrong. I was eating wrong, 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 wrong. Like you name it, I was probably doing it wrong. And thank the Lord, he sent me Jenny to show me this. Like I didn't know <laughs> that you had to place a fork up upwards with the spines facing up in order for it to get clean. Like if you didn't put it in that exact position, the water wouldn't hit it, the soap wouldn't get on it, and it would be a bacteria-filled mess. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you had to use dryer sheets. In the, I just found them in my pockets. I was like, this is like a strong tissue. What is this, right? But if, I didn't know that if you don't use them, you're gonna be walking around an unhygienic mess the entire next week. I didn't know that. So you can imagine the overflowing thankfulness and gratefulness that welled up in my heart every single time like Jenny gave me a piece of advice or when she took time out of her busy day to share this amazing bits of wisdom and life-changing advice. Like you can imagine, I responded like a person should. I got down on my knees and said, oh, I praise you, oh wise one, for removing the blindness from my eyes and correcting the error of my ways. No, that's not how I reacted. I said, get away from me, you're crazy, right? I said, you worry about yourself, right? Miss me with that, I got mad. I got ticked off, right? I said, you've got to be kidding me. There is no wrong way to fold a washcloth, Jenny, right? Like you don't wear it out in public where you fold it. It doesn't matter where the seams are. It's, it hangs in your shower till you gotta wash your butt and then you put it right back, right? There's no wrong way to fold it, right? Why did I get mad, right? We fought a lot. It wasn't like the year of marital bliss that I had been expecting, right? But I learned a lot. But, but why did I respond that way? Because there's something in my heart that just hates to be told what to do, right? I hate being told that I'm wrong and you're right. I don't like being corrected. And that's all of us. We have names for people that do that. We call them bossy, right? Bossy pants. We call them controlling. We call them know-it-alls. We call them anal retentive. And that's just the small things. 
we know what we really hate when it comes to moral things, right? When you tell me I'm not just doing something wrong, but I am wrong, like I'm a wrong person, oh no, huh? Like we call them judgmental, right? We call them prideful. We call them holier than thou. People get tattoos like only God can judge me, right? And that might be true, but I've got to admit, if I see that on like your lower back and a Bojangles, like I'm going to do a little bit of judging myself, but, <laughs> right? But it's because we don't like being told what to do. We hate being corrected, especially when it comes to moral things. Now, can you see why this is a, is a hurdle, why this is a problem that all of us have to work through if we're going to get to the point where we submit ourselves underneath God's word? Because that's a lot of what God intends his word to do in our lives. It's meant to confront. It's meant to challenge. It's meant to call us to the carpet. It's meant to eventually change us, right? James says that looking into this is like looking into a mirror. Uh, you ever been at like a fancy party with someone that you really respect, like, like the staff Christmas party with your boss, or like you're at a fancy dinner with some clients that you're trying to win over, and, and everything's going great, and you think it's awesome until like the hors d'oeuvres and the salads come out, and then people start like looking at you funny, and uh, they start like talking to you, but then like ending the conversation abruptly, and you can't figure out why, so you just go to the bathroom, and then you're washing your hands in the sink, and you like flash one of those smiles at you, and you see the biggest, greenest piece of spinach and broccoli in your teeth, right? And you know why people were acting weird. James says that's what, that's what God's word is like. It's like that mirror. See, it confronts you with what you actually look like, not what you hope you look like. That's the thing about mirrors, they never lie. Like when you see your face in the mirror, as ugly as it might be, you don't doubt it. You don't debate it. You don't fight with what you see. It's what you really look like, like it or not. And that's what God's word does. But see, it confronts us way deeper than skin deep, doesn't it? It confronts us with the brokenness of our heart. It confronts you with your false beliefs. It confronts you with your harmful desires. It confronts you ultimately with what? Your guilt and your sin. And we don't like that. And so a lot of times we don't receive it. Instead, we judge it. We judge it. Instead of putting ourselves under it, we put ourselves over it. And we say things like, okay, like I see, I see what you said there, God. And I, I get it. I mean, it doesn't match with what I think. In fact, that hasn't been my experience. That doesn't match with my opinion. In fact, the more I think about it, it kind of seems out of date. Kind of old-fashioned. Like, it doesn't really fit with the wisdom of the day. I mean, maybe a thousand years ago, like, that would have made sense. But, God, we've progressed as a society. I don't know if you've noticed that. But we've moved beyond the need for this belief or for this principle. So thanks, thanks for sharing your opinion. I mean, it seems kind of cool, but I'm going to stick with my way of doing things. See? Or we say, hey, hey, I, I see what, what God's word says about marriage. Yep, read it in Ephesians. I get it. I understand it. Uh, but that... I was in a patriarchal society, right? I'm in like a modern day marriage now. And I know divorce rates, you know, happen to be the highest they've been in the history of the world. But still, I think we got a good thing going, right? I think we're on to something here. So thanks, but no thanks. Or we say, God, I know that you say that, that this action or this behavior is going to carry with it some severe consequences. But I got to be honest, I'm, I haven't experienced it yet. And I'm kind of having fun. And sure, the 107 billion people that live before me, sure, all of them ex face some consequences, but I'm, I'm a little different. I think I'm unique in that regard. I think I'll escape that, so thanks, but no thanks. 
And see, when we do that, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves over God's word and not under it. And we've chosen to judge it instead of it judging us. And because we refuse to be under, we're still facing defeat. And we're not tasting victory. And God's not placing those things over us that, that we should be over. That's why James is very careful to include receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. When we approach God's word, there should be this humility. There should be this meekness. This, uh, You are eternal and I am not. You are all wise and I am not. I don't know what I don't know. So, so I'm actually thankful for the opportunity for you to correct, for you to challenge, because then maybe, maybe I'll change. See, there's this humility. And I, I'm not, I'm not I, some of you have been on the receiving end of Christians um, misusing this book, uh, using not to lift you up, but to beat you down. And I get that. A lot of people have taken words out of here and have twisted them and confused them and used them to harm people. So I'm not talking about that. If you've been on the receiving end of that, I'm truly, truly sorry. And I'm not talking about there being no place for doubting or no place for wrestling. There certainly is. I, I don't think that you should have to just accept everything by blind faith or check your brain at the door. Every single generation has to come uh, to grips with the contents of this book and decide for themselves if they're really true or not. But if you make the decision, yes, this is true, this is the word of God, then there has to come a point where you stop trying to change it where you stop trying to make it weak to fit your weaknesses, where you stop trying to make this compromise in the areas where you wanna compromise, where you stop trying to, to mold it and rip pages out so it fits with what our society currently thinks is right and good. There has to come a point where you stop trying to change God's word and you just let it change you, right? Because that's what it's meant to do. That's why we come to it with meekness and with humility, you see? So that's the first hurdle we get over. But he says we can't, just, <laughs> we can't just receive it. That's a good start. But we also have to obey it. And see, not only do we not like people telling us what to do, we also don't like doing things we don't want to do. <laughs> right? I'm that way. And I could kind of go on and on about this. But just real quickly, I'll make the point. Um, I researched this week. Um, currently, according to a 2010 uh, survey in Wake County, North Carolina, if you're watching online, kind of the center of the state where we're at, um, there's about one million self-proclaimed Christ followers. That's a lot. It's a little bit lower than that. It's in the upper 900, but about one million Christ followers. And yet, I looked up some other data. Um, with one million Christ followers in this county, there's still 500 kids in foster care and only 200 foster homes. So 200 out of a million people individuals or families willing to open up their homes. That's, I think, 0.00002%. Uh, studies say that only about 34% of Christians attend church at least once a month. If you shrink this down to just our church, we know, I looked at the data this week, about 50 to 55% of us give regularly. About 25% of us serve regularly. And I'm not trying to beat you up. Like, we do pretty good compared to other churches. But still, it stings a little bit just because we know that God's word says so clearly Hey, care for the widows and the orphans. Don't neglect meeting together regularly as some are in the habit of doing. Hey, as I have served you, so you need to serve others. Or give generously <laughs> out of a cheerful heart, you see? So what that tells me is James' verse about this, I mean, it's still just as applicable today, 2,000 years later. 
And what that means is either we don't know what's in this book and that's why we're not obeying it. And let's be honest, this is a big book and there's lots of stuff in here. And a lot of you folks have just started following Jesus. So I think that that is true for some of us. But it means that or either we know exactly what God's word says and we just don't do it. American Christians are weird that way. Like we pride ourselves in knowing the contents of this book, but not in obeying it. In fact, we have bad names for it. That's legalism. That's performance-based Christianity. And Jesus would say, no, that's obedience, right? I feel like if Jesus went into just your normal average American Christian household, like he'd be amazed at how many Bible verses he saw up. Like he'd walk in and be like, God, you got verses on the welcome mat. You got them in the hallway. I saw it in the bathroom. That's cool. Live, laugh, love. I didn't say that, but I like that too. That's great. He's like, and I noticed you have like 13 Bibles in this house. That's crazy. I used to have one scroll. Jeremiah, that's all I had growing up. You got 13 Bibles. And I was looking at this one. It's a study Bible. It's got like twice the amount of words as a normal Bible. Like that's intense. You read this whole thing. And he's like, that's awesome. What, What do you do with all this word and scripture that you have? And the person living there would say, well, you know, we go to, this place called church once a week and we hear a pastor explain some of it to us. And he said, that's great. And? Well, we get together with a group of people afterwards and we talk about what the pastor said about your word and that's, that's pretty fun. Like, okay, great. What else? Well, there's this one guy in our group that knows the Hebrew and knows the Greek and he can tell you what every single word means and it's crazy. He's like memorizing verses right and left. He's like, that's awesome. What else? <laughs> Well, some people get tattoos on their body. Well, what else? Well, that's about it. And I think Jesus would say, well, I think you missed the point. I love this book. Don't get me wrong. You should read it. You should meditate on it. It should become a part of you. But this is not a textbook that you will be tested one day as to whether you know the contents of it or not. This is a guidebook. This is a map to the abundant life that Jesus has to offer. If someone were to hand you a treasure map, you wouldn't take it and look at it and be like, what is it, 100 gram paper? That's awesome. What is it, 18 inches this way, 12 inches that way? That's cool. Right, and study it for a week. Like, okay, there's 72 mountains. I know that because I counted them and, and frame it and look at it. No, you'd walk out the door and you'd follow to where it led to the treasure. That's what this is. It's a guidebook that leads to blessing. We don't do this to get God to love us. We do it because he loves us so much and he's promised us abundant life and blessings. But it only works if you do what it says, right? That's the promise. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So I'm running out of time. So I want to ask you guys to do two things for me, watching online or at one of our campuses. And I don't usually have like hard application points. Some of you like it, some of you don't. But I think that the truth is so important. I want to ask you to do two things. First, really easy. I want to ask everyone listening that can hear my voice, I want you to commit to reading your Bible once a day for the rest of the week. If I was going to say life, no, week, just a week, okay? If you already do that, guess what? You can check it off your list. Good job. But if you don't, first, if you need a Bible, we'd love to give you one. So head to Next Steps area or tell the person online that you need one. We'll mail you one. We want to get a Bible in your hands. But if you don't, I want to encourage you to read one of my favorite chapters. It's Psalm 119. And uh, I, want to, I want you to read that chapter uh, because it's really easy to find. It's smack dab in the middle of the book of Psalms and smack dab in the whole middle of the Bible. And it's super long. It's really hard to miss. And you know what it's all about? 
it's all about how amazing and vital and life-giving and precious God's word is, right? So I want to ask you to read it. It's really long. If you read 30 verses a day, take you five or six minutes for six days, you'll read it. And maybe by the end, you'll have a new hunger and appreciation and desire to read it. So that's the first thing. And then secondly, I want to ask you to pick one command, and all of us can do this. One command, not out of Psalm 119, but all over the Bible. One command that you know God wants you to obey, you just haven't yet. And I want you to obey it. I don't know what that is. Maybe, I mean, for half of us, obviously, something like generosity. I mean, that's kind of black and white, right? Yet so many of us don't do it. And the Bible kind of gives us the principle of 10%. So for every $10 that you get, you give God one and you get to keep nine. I think that's a pretty good deal. But if you can't go from zero to 10% overnight, just start with something. And I'll say what I always say. I am more concerned with you experiencing the blessing that comes from obedience. I'm more concerned with that than I'm concerned about where you give. So if you don't have our trust, please just give somewhere else. Give somewhere else. Hopefully we can earn your trust one day. And I can't think of a better place to give than Hope Community Church. But if it's giving, then it's giving. Maybe it's that command that where Jesus said, hey, come and follow me. Maybe it's believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that I'm Lord. Maybe you haven't taken that step to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe that's for you. Maybe, maybe you know you're living with someone you're not married to and you need to move out. Maybe you need to start serving. Whatever it is, I want you to take one command that you've kind of put on the shelf and I just want you to obey it. Not to get God to love you, but so you can experience the fact that his commands always lead to joy. And I promise you this, when you begin to humbly receive and humbly obey, you'll start to see God do some amazing things. You'll start to experience the blessing that James talks about because it's a promise that you can bank on. So the past two weeks, uh, we've ended this um, in... Uh, an extrovert's dream. <laughs> we've standed up and we've like gotten all crazy and we've yelled out our battle cries and stuff while well, this weekend's for the introverts. Um, and I think that this truth is so um, uh, incredibly important that here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna end a little bit differently. Uh, there's gonna be some, some reflection questions online and on our screens at our campuses. And so we're gonna play some soft music. And I just want you to answer these questions in your own heart, make it personal. And then um, the, the screens are going to prompt you to take out that battle cry card and to fill out that third prompt, okay? So uh, I'm gonna head off stage and you're gonna have time to reflect and I'm praying that God does big things. So thank you guys. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.